0: From True Africa, I'm Claude Wienitski, and this is Limitless. In this episode, we're talking about girls' education in Africa.
1: School won't feel worthwhile if the education is basic and poor quality.
2: I think another big thing that we see in Mozambique is just the impact of poverty and the way in which that drives families to make different choices for their children.
3: We imported the Harvard curriculum to girls in Africa and saw that they learned from it just as well as Harvard students.
0: Welcome to Limitless, the podcast that asks the questions that matter for Africa. We're looking for African solutions to African problems. In each episode, we're asking three guests one question that matters to Africans. And, no surprise, they don't always agree. The Limitless podcast is supported by the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation. 52 million girls are not in school in Africa. Four million girls will never step into a classroom. They won't be able to read or write. They won't be able to understand medical prescriptions, safety instructions, or help their children with homework. That's why women's education is often at the forefront of development work in Africa. But something isn't working. The UN admitted that while the gender gap has narrowed, progress is stalling. That's why I wanted to talk to three women who've made it their mission to improve the lives of women in their community. What are we getting wrong? First up is Noela Corsares Musunka, who was Congolese but was brought up in Europe where she worked as a model. She has another passion which makes her one of the most interesting change makers on the continent. It started at the age of 18, when she returned to Congo to meet her mother. She witnessed firsthand the poverty and lack of opportunity for women. In 2007, she set up Malaika, a school in rural Congo. It now educates over 400 girls. She explained how she keeps girls in education in a country where seven million children don't go to school.
1: Malaika really came from For my own story, we started 15 years ago, and during that time, it has grown to become a community-driven ecosystem that can be duplicated in any other context around the world. We started with one classroom for a small number of students, and now we have a primary and secondary school that provide a free, quality, holistic education to 400 girls. In 2011, we built a community center, which which are continually growing. This provides sport, education to over 5,000 youth and adults each year. We have built and refurbished 23 wells. We also have agriculture, which provides food for the school and also facilitates vocational education in sustainable farming. So this is really, like, uh, in 15 years, it's difficult to explain in, like, in two minutes, you know? But I think it gives <laughs> us an idea
0: of what you're accomplishing, and it's, there's actually results. It's not just talk. There's real action behind. What do you think people get wrong when they think about keeping
1: girls in school? I think that's simply a case of offering girls place in current school provision when many of them are, aren't suitable, um, suitable or safe for the girls, also, not providing a quality education that inspires girls. Malaika, you know, is a leadership school, and we teach the girls to believe they can have an impact on the world and on their communities. School won't feel of worthwhile if the education is basic and poor quality. Not addressing the, um, the needs of the wider community, if we hadn't built and refurbished 23 wells, many of the girls would not make to the school full-time. They will fall ill more, and they will need to spend time fetching water from further away from their families. And they will get pregnant at a young age, and they will get married. So education is the way where you keep the girls very safe.
0: And then when you say safe, can you give us a particular example, perhaps, of a specific girl who decided to stay in school, and how you and your organization at Malaika was able to make that happen?
1: Uh, I will talk about one of a young su- student that's been orphaned she, she, since her and sisters were eleven years old. Um, and, and for her confidentiality, I will not pronounce, I will not say her name. But she had very difficult time because she had to live with the maternal aunt who was very tough on the girls. She was a teenage, the situation at home broke down. Then followed period of emotional instability that let her go from house to house until she decided to fourteen years old to leave her aunt's house and to leave school. But the school, um, we are beyond the school, you know. We really care about the student. We went to see the family. We went to see her. We tried to arrange and we take uh, initiative. And we really wanted to make sure that she come back to school because we wanted her to offer a security to be safe and to be educated and to take her own life uh, to take, her in charge, to, be charge, to, to take her own life in charge and knowing that in a few years she would be able to, be, to have a diploma, to go look for a job. So we really went beyond barriers to brought her back to school and, and we were successful. And she's one of us. Like, she's studying so well and adapt herself so fast in any situation.
0: My next guest is American citizen and Harvard graduate Kara Myers. Tara is the co-founder of the Mozambique School Lunch Initiative, a non-profit organization. They make sure that school children are fed properly using supplies from local farmers. I asked her, why is it so difficult to keep girls in school?
2: You know, working in Mozambique, I think we see a number of factors. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why it has been intractable, because it's not just a single cause, and I think it varies by uh, place as well. So a couple things that we notice a lot in Mozambique is especially this big urban rural divide. And this has a lot to do with access to schools um, in rural areas, especially after the fifth grade. It's oftentimes very difficult for girls to even reach a school um, by walking distance. I think another big thing that we see in Mozambique is just kind of the impact of poverty and the way in which that drives families to make different choices for their children. So especially for girls, this is one of the driving factors that causes parents to marry their daughters off very early. In Mozambique, you know, premature marriages are illegal um, before the age of 18, but you still see a lot of parents who, due to economic hardship, due to food insecurity, Decide that it's actually better for their daughter to be married to somebody who can take care of them. Um, And that oftentimes compromises their schooling as well.
0: It'd be great if you could tell us a little bit more about the reasons you decided to spend so much time launching the Mozambique School Lunch Initiative.
2: Yeah, it's definitely something I'm very passionate about. And so, the Mozambique School Lunch Initiative, I think our approach is recognizing the fact that you have this urgent need, kind of this immediate need to keep. Students and especially girls in school, and kind of the immediate causes such as hunger and food insecurity that you know are driving causes of girls dropping out of school. But then our approach also recognizes that there's these long-term kind of structural challenges that are driving this underlying problem of parents um, and families living in poverty and not being able to uh, provide basic needs for their children. So our approach is to provide a school lunch program. Um, it's a free program for all students who are attending school. They get a really big meal, um, and that kind of is our approach to having this safety net program in schools and ensuring that students are motivated to come, have the nutrition they need, and is uh, also you know an assurance for their parents. Um, Our approach in terms of the homegrown nature of it is to say that, you know, the reason in these rural areas that a lot of parents are uh, struggling with food insecurity is because their agricultural production is just too low. It's kind of below subsistence level. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, There's the lack of access to inputs, and then there's a lack of access to markets. And so we use the school lunch program as kind of an anchor to provide that, those inputs to farmers and provide a market for them to sell to. They're selling their crops directly to our organization, which then cooks them and provides them in the school meals.
0: Is it possible for you to kind of look back and think of perhaps one single girl who's been helped by your initiative and by your efforts on the ground, the work you've been doing with Roberto and the team in the Chokwe region of Mozambique?
2: In terms of a single student, though, I think uh, one that really stands out to me is this student. Her name is Alisi Obisi, and she was in seventh grade, sixth and seventh grade, when our program first started, and that was actually right in the middle of a drought. And so that was a time when a lot of kids were dropping out of school. Um, she was kind of at this like critical time where a lot of girls don't finish school. A lot of times their parents choose to marry them off because they've reached a certain age, Um, And that was when our school lunch program started. And so she stayed in school um, and her parents actually ended up being some of the first farmers to work with us in our farmer program. And so they received the improved inputs and started selling their production to the the school lunch program. And I think through kind of that engagement, the parents ended up being really strong supporters of education for their girls.
0: My third guest is Genevieve Gori, a Malian education specialist who, like Kara, graduated from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government and now works for the World Bank. She co-founded Swadella, an organization which aims to build up the negotiation skills of girls.
3: In Mali and in many African countries, there is a decrease in the number of girls attending school particularly secondary school. There are many factors which explain this. Some of the most influential are social norms and stereotypes. It is seen as more important for girls to become good wives and mothers and to look after the home. There are other things to think about. There's also the absence of role models. Studies show that in order to want to work, or to see themselves in a certain job, one has to have seen people from their community and who look like them, climb up the ladder and make an impact. There are quite a few factors. People have stereotypes and girls often have the impression not all jobs are open to them and so will be less likely to go into jobs which will help them and their country progress. They think those types of jobs aren't suitable for them. I'm thinking in particular of science and technology, engineering and maths, but also agriculture and more manual jobs. And of course there's the problem of lack of confidence, and many organisations are starting to tackle this. I will explain why I founded this initiative. From my side, it has come from the idea that women are full of potential, especially those around us. I read the same Harvard study as my co-founder in Zambia. It showed that when one teaches 21st century skills and development skills, although I would never say French and maths aren't important, but when you teach those skills to girls, they help them understand how to interact with the world around them and how to behave with authority figures, like parents who could tell them to do certain things, and with community leaders and teachers. One has to teach them to talk to these kinds of people and to fight for their rights. Many girls that we trained thought that they would either win or lose and were unwilling to face conflict. We said we would teach them how to negotiate. We imported the Harvard curriculum to girls in Africa and saw that they learnt from it just as well as Harvard students. We built a bridge between existing resources and those who don't have access to them. Of course, we translated and adapted it to the local context. We gave the girls the skills to fight for themselves and make their voices heard and decide what they want to do with their future. We helped them to do this without, of course, bulldozing cultural norms, offending their elders, doing stuff which is contrary to their community. It's about teaching them to see life from a different perspective and to analyse the problem in different ways. If one understands what one really wants, one can find solutions, solutions which are in their interest, which are creative, and which help everyone.
0: We're not looking for simple answers on this podcast. We believe Africa's potential is limitless, and women are key to fulfilling that potential. Our contributors are all fighting to improve girls' access to education in Africa. Their individual stories all move me. These are real practical issues stopping girls attending school. Concerns about their safety or about toilets and sanitation facilities for when they're menstruating. But it's also about a mindset change for both girls and parents. Parents need help to prioritize education. Girls need that education to empower themselves and their communities. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, visit www.TrueAfrica.co slash Limitless or follow True Africa on Facebook and Twitter. Join in the conversation using the hashtag LimitlessAfrica. You've been listening to Limitless. I'm Claude Grinitsky. The Limitless podcast is a production of True Africa. This podcast is made possible with a grant from the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation.